We are concluding our what ifs, our study about the things that sometimes keep us up at night. We've talked about fear and everything we've talked about is, if not a negative, it's at least maybe you could say not a positive. But we want to end our study talking about the fear of God, which of course is a good fear, which of course the scripture says is the beginning of wisdom. And Psalm 147.11 says that the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Now, let's look at just some basic things about the fear of God. I, in retrospect, I wish I had done this lesson first, but maybe this is providentially placed to help us be able to wrap up all of our other fears in this great fear, the fear of God. Now, um, of course, we all understand that the fear of God is an is a right thing to do, but we all struggle with what really does the fear of God look like? We've been taught, most of us, that when we talk about the fear of God, it's not a cringing fear, it shouldn't be. Um, it should be a reverential fear uh, or a reverential awe, I think is the word our notes use, but it's much more than that. Um, we are to fear God in a way that we probably fear nothing else. I don't know that there's a, a good thing to compare it to. Um, but there is the dynamic of reverential awe. There's a sense of dreadful awe. There's a sense of, it's a, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We know that. But that's not where we live in our relationship. Um, when Abraham was asked why he deceived King Abimelech and his people about his wife, Sarah, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Abraham taught us, at least indirectly, that it's the fear of God that is a restraining element in society and in our lives. Uh, when Joseph was uh, in a place of temptation and he was, uh, the, the wife of Potiphar was trying to seduce him, he said, how can I do this? This would be so wrong on so many levels. But he said, and to do it in front of God, he had a holy fear. Um, and, and Joseph was saying that's one of, the, one of the ways we're kept in check. Um, Paul described wicked humanity with the idea of fear. He said in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Exodus 3.6 says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Um, there is that sense of overcoming awe. That's why the angels, whenever they talk to humans, generally began their speech with, don't be afraid. Um, judges, then Gideon perceived that this was an angel of the Lord that had appeared to him. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, 
For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. <clears throat> Isaiah eight thirteen. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And again, in the context here, God wasn't saying live in cringing fear. He was saying if there's going to be a, a force in your life that brings you to your senses, let it be the fear of God, not the fear of man or of, of, um, of stuff. Um, many people seem to believe that the incarnation, you know, Jesus eliminated any need for the fear of God. But the Old and New Testament God is the same. We've talked about that a lot. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So there's not only this, this dreadful awe, there's, there's a sense of, of you know, you know I, t I told you one time about um, a dream or, or a vision. I honestly don't know which one it was when I was brought into the presence of God and he was behind a door and it was a door in what I can considered to be eternity. And the closer I got to the door, the greater the light coming from around the door. And I remember it was so real thinking, if I open this door, I will die. But I also wanted to open the door more than I wanted anything in life. And I woke up as I reached to open the door. But it was, it was a strange combination of I must open the door. But if I do, it'll cost me everything. That's a, that's a holy kind of fear. Uh, it's what we call in your notes, astonished devotion. This is the legitimate sense of awe and respect which produces worship. Okay, and if God has removed the fear of wrath, do we still need to fear him? Well, he says in Philippians 2, wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This relationship with God, we are removed from the fear of his wrath. I don't fear the wrath of God. But when I think of the wrath of God, it brings me to my knees. But there is this unique relationship where I know what he can do. I know what he will do in some cases, but I don't live in that fear, but I live in that respect. The closest thing I can compare it to, and this is a poor, poor analogy, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying about my dad. My dad never struck me in all my life. You know, I was not a victim of child abuse, but I had a healthy fear, respect for my dad. And um, uh, I, I don't ever remember being afraid that he would hit me, but I, I, I respected him. And I, I remembered one day I was, um, I was probably 45 years old and I realized how respectful I was being to my dad because he was a little dried up thing by this time. Um, I, my dad had gotten so old and brittle that um, you can tell I learned to drive without a seatbelt. That was back in the days when cars didn't have seatbelts. 
Um, and because I always, no matter, you know, it's dangerous to ride in the front seat with me because when I hit the brakes, I reach out to keep you from going into the windshield instinctively. And I did that to my dad one time when I had to slam on brakes and broke two of his ribs. I mean, so I, I, I don't think I was in any fear of my dad being able to whip me. But I realized that even though my dad was an old man that walked with a cane and had shriveled in size and strength, I still would have never thought of crossing him in a disrespectful way. Um, th there, was, there was this mixture of respect and, and awe that I had for my dad right up till the time he died. And that's probably a very poor analogy, but that's on the track of what we're talking about um, with God. He says, if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Peter said, live your life in a healthy reverential awe and a devoted awesomeness to God. Now, uh, it, it's hard to define. It's hard to define. But um, there are reasons that we should strive to find this balance in the fear of God. The first reason is simply because of who He is. He deserves our awe and He deserves our devotion because of who He is. For who in the skies above, the psalmist says, can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. If you've ever been uh, in the presence of an angel, you knew it was an angel, or if you've ever seen, you know, a, 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 a heavenly scene like the shepherds did at Christmas, it, it brings us to our knees. And we, it, Daniel, a, a couple of times fell down as though we were dead uh, at seeing angelic beings and and uh, and hearing heavenly realms. And if you stop and think about it, God is more awesome than all of that. More awesome than those uh, who surround him. Jeremiah, no one's like you, Lord. You who are great and your name is mighty and power. Who should not fear you, king of the nations? This is your due among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms. There is no one like you. And Peter uh, Crift, a great... Uh, a Roman Catholic writer says the fear of the Lord is something that takes its specific character from its object, from the Lord himself. It is awe. It is worship. It is wonder. It is absolute adoration. And we enter that because of who the Lord is. Um, uh, I think it was Joe Garlington where he was citing the reference from the prophet's where it said that they, the angels around him just say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. He, he, and then that's all they do. That's all they do. And he said, why is that all they do? He said, because they bow down and say, holy, holy, holy. And when they stand up and see him again, they got to do it again. I mean, not got to, but God is worthy. So not only because of who he is, but because of what he has done. Exodus 14, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him 
and in Moses, his servant. See, not only the nature of God causes us to have a holy fear, but what he does, even when it's good things for us, the, the magnitude of what he can do sends us into awe. I remember I was at youth camp one year when I was uh, uh, much younger, and I used to go to camp with the kids. And there was this guy that had been an athlete, and we had the Olympics where each cabin was against the other. And he was a counselor in our cabin, so he could compete. And um, I don't know if you've ever thrown a, you know, the shot put, but that, that sucker's heavy. And, and it's, it's not like you can wind up and throw a baseball. It, it's just kind of a push. And um, all of us were doing it. And, the, you know, some of us did well, some of us didn't. And this guy did one, I don't know, I don't know how far it was, probably 50 or 60 feet. And I was absolutely in awe. And I went up to him. I didn't know what to say. He was my friend, but I was speechless. What kind of friend do I have that can do that? And I looked at his arm. I looked at his shoulders. And I thought, oh, I am a fan. And then I found out they had put a dummy shot for him. And it, was, it had enough heft to travel, but it was, it was not even a tenth of the weight of the regular one. And um, they got us. They got us good. But I remember thinking, I, I was in awe of this guy being able to do that. And if we could ever really glimpse accurately what God is able to do, we would have that awe as well. Um, Exodus 15, 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. The psalmist said, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, not only is he majestic because of who he is and what he has done, but also because of what he continues to do. Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. God continues to do mighty and miraculous things in our lives because he wants us to, to, um, to be restrained from going in a, in a wrong direction. Psalm 66, 5, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Now, here's uh, one of the two questions we want to end this introduction with. Is it possible to love God and fear God at the same time. Does John, or 1 John 4, 18 complicate the issue? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Well, you've got to understand, and it's as simple as this, it is, it is profound, but it's also profoundly simple. 
The Bible simply talks about two kinds of fear. The destructive fear that is tormenting, that is of hell, that is of the devil, and the healthy fear that is the fear of God. That uh, we, we don't walk in arrogance. We don't walk in presumption. We have a healthy, uh, awe-inspired fear of God, but one is tormenting, one is releasing. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just something that the Holy Spirit has got to show us. And now Israel, Moses said, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He says, God wants you to fear him and you do that by loving him. Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Again, back to the Psalms. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. And I recommended to you um, C.S. Lewis, um, the, the, the most reluctant convert and his books I absolutely love. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is what C.S. Lewis says. And this reflects the kind of depth that Lewis had. Um, people often think a thing cannot be good and terrible, and he means terrible as awesome, as powerful, as overwhelming. He, people often think a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. That's them seeing Aslan. They realize that something can be absolutely awe-inspiring. Something can be absolutely, utterly overwhelming. But at the same time, good is such an inadequate word to describe the loveliness of it. Now, how do we want to end this little introduction to the idea of the fear of God? Well, I think the best way to do it is to realize that the, the fear of God comes with at least, at least five special promises. There's more than this, but I think this kind of groups them uh, into some general categories. Uh, the fear of God promises provision for us. Uh, to, to walk in the fear of God is to walk in the favor of God. Um, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who, what? Fear him, lack nothing. The, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The fear of the Lord opens the door. Now, it doesn't mean there's never a lack of something. It doesn't mean there's never tough times. Paul said, I've learned to have and I've learned to not have. I've learned to be exalted. I've learned to be abased. But in all of that situation, we're still under the care and favor of the Lord. So the fear of God gives us provision. It also gives us protection. Psalm 33, verses 18 to 19, the eyes of the Lord are on who? Those who fear him, on those whose hope 
is in his unfailing love. See, that ties the idea of fear to an unshakable um, hope in his love. Um, we know the awesomeness of God, but we also know his awesome commitment to us and it gives us protection. He says it will deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Well, here's a third benefit. The fear of God provides victory over sin. In Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's tremendous, tremendous. And 2 Corinthians, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence. And that word is the idea of out of fear for God. Now, I, I am benefited by the fear of God because it gives me provision, it gives me protection, it gives me victory over sin, and it just gives me a life that experiences the blessings of the Lord in, in general. Psalm 128 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man that fears the Lord. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. And here's one that I think maybe the older we get, the more we think about the fear of the Lord ensures that we can leave a legacy for our children and our grandchildren and for generations to come. Moses said, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me, speaking, the Lord speaking through Moses, and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. When you and I live in the fear of God, it benefits our children and it benefits their children and their children's children. Um, when God gave the Ten Commandments and He gave the first two commands, one was to keep the Lord first, worship Him only, not to make any graven images. He wrapped up those two commands. Um, they're kind of grouped together. They're separate, but they're grouped together. He said, if, if you don't fear me, if you don't live for me, I will bring judgment on the second and third generation. That's, that's a frightening thing to realize that your grandchildren and great-grandchildren can be affected by your wickedness. But I like the latter part of that. He said, but if you walk in the fear of God and keep my commandments, I'll show goodness to thousands of generations. That's the privilege of having a legacy. Psalm 103, 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of knowing you without cringing fear. 
We, we, we fear you. We, we live in awe of you. But it is a fear that results in worship and love and security. We thank you for that. We thank you that Paul explained to Timothy, he said, now God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and sound thinking. Thank you for allowing us to love you. And Father, I want to pray for everyone that has reached this point in this Bible study, whether they're studying it as a group or on their own. Lord, if there's anybody that's in bondage to an unholy, unhealthy fear, I ask in the strong name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would set them free right now. Lord, um, break the lies, the pattern of trembling uh, that has resulted from an unhealthy, unholy, unwholesome fear of God and replace it with what the Bible has put before us tonight. Set your people free to fear you, but also to love you and to worship you. And we ask for your delivering power in Jesus' name. Amen.